welcome to Writing on Wednesdays, a podcast about building a healthy and sustainable writing process from beginning to end, but mostly in the middle. I'm Nicole Rokas, an author, speaker, and writing coach in Toronto. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician living in St. Louis. Today we're talking about boundaries for writers. What are they, how you set them, and which ones do you need to think about as a creative? Plus, Sarah's thoughts about Feedly, a listener question about beta readers, and a quick update on our respective writing projects. So get your pens ready, pull up a chair, and join us for a weekly Wednesday writing date. Let's get right into the thick of it, a part of the show where we focus in on one idea, strategy, or topic as it pertains to the writing process. So Nicole, what do boundaries mean in the context of creative work? Well, Sarah, boundaries as they pertain to like relationships and life first started being talked about after a book called Boundaries was published in 1992 by um, two authors with the last name of Cloud and Townsend. Have you ever read that book? I haven't read that one, but I read the excellent book by Henry Cloud on dating and um, am now happily married in, not in small part due to to the mindset of that book. (laughs) Thank you, Henry Cloud, for making my life a better place. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I really like their concept of boundaries. I think that there's been a new edition of their book that's a little bit better than the original. It's a bit more nuanced. Mm -hmm. But um, here's what they say about boundaries in their first book. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. Boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. Setting boundaries inevitably involves taking responsibility for your choices. You're the one who makes them. You're the one who must live with their consequences, and you're the one who may be keeping yourself from making the choices you could be happy with. We must own our own thoughts and clarify distorted thinking. So basically, this kind of gets at their principle, which is that most of the time in life when we feel um, taken advantage of or like people aren't taking responsibility for their stuff, we often have to look at ourselves and figure out, well, what aren't we taking responsibility for? And what can we do to protect our territory, our responsibilities, our energy, you know, our Our personhood, our identity? Yeah, all of those important things. So if you just kind of think of like offense, you know, offense is a kind of boundary. And not only does it keep predators or rabbits or whatever out of your garden, it also might have a gate where you can let things or people or whatever in um, should you choose. So this can be applied to relationships, can be applied to the workplace, marriage, you know, all sorts of different contexts. So I work in a spiritual nonprofit. I work in a church and I work with a lot of volunteers and we talk about boundaries a lot because we're in spiritual leadership positions and that's a really complicated power dynamic. Boundaries are really important on that side of the work, but I hadn't, until you proposed this topic, I hadn't really thought about boundaries in terms of my writing. And I'm really curious how this how this came about for you that you really started thinking about boundaries and writing together. Well, I suppose what I would like to say is the answer is, you know, it just kind of occurred to me and I thought it was a good idea. But the reality is that I sort of found <laughs> myself or have found myself at various points where I'm just kind of totally exhausted and I've given way too much to other people and gotten kind of resentful in some of my creative work and then realized the hard way, oh, you know what, I said yes to all of those things. And I, 
you know, it was me who who took on those challenges. Mm. Even when I probably knew at the outset that it was too much. And this kind of came to a head at one point last fall. And so I've really been thinking a lot about it since then, which is like, what are the various points in my creative journey or as a creative professional where I need to think about setting boundaries in order to safeguard my work, in order to safeguard my professional reputation, all of that. And I think that it's important to think about, especially in the kind of middle stage of writing that we're always talking about on this show, because it's a very like undefined and uncertain sort of precarious stage of the writing process. And when when there's uncertainty, you tend to just um, fly by the seat of your pants or just not think as strategically about things. And I think that we might be tempted to open ourselves up to a lot of um, things. We might be tempted to say yes to things out of insecurity or just not thinking mm. very clearly where we might otherwise say no to them. Is this like how people will... Um, be starting a freelance career and say yes to every opportunity, even if the pay is crap, just because, well, I, I got to eat, I got to gotta make, I got to hustle, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely one area. Or you're so anxious to get your book done that you just forsake all sense of good boundaries with time and just work life balance oh, and, let it and things consume like that. You. Yeah. Yeah, that's another way. Mm. And plus, during the middle stage, especially towards the end, you know, the end of the middle stage, you're already planning promotion opportunities and things like that. You may be tempted to say yes or go to certain events that you don't actually even feel comfortable going to for, for whatever reasons, but you want to sell your book. So mm -hmm. things like that. So what you've, you've been thinking about different areas to have boundaries in. Like, what are the areas for that? Yeah, well, actually, before I get to that, one thing that I think is important to point out is everybody's sense of boundaries is unique. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. you might be in a field where there are agreed upon ethical boundaries or parameters, but I think mm -hmm. what we're talking about is more subjective and these are things you have to answer for yourself. Yeah, we're talking we're talking about care here. We're not really talking about professional ethics. Yeah, although I do, maybe I'll mention one sort of ethical thing, but mm -hmm. so I don't think the objective here is to tell people well, here's the boundary you should set or maintain or mm -hmm. whatever. Here's what a good boundary is. Yeah, but I have five different points at which I think boundaries need to be discerned. And then I have a few questions for each of those to help people start thinking about, oh, what should my boundary be on this? The first area of boundaries every writer should think about is, first of all, boundaries with yourself, which is weird to think about. We don't think about setting boundaries with ourselves. <laughs> this might actually be the most important. So here are some questions to consider. What kind of self-talk will you accept from yourself? And how will you enforce boundaries, let's say, when you start hearing self-talk that's really not helpful? The kind of talk you wouldn't listen to if someone else were saying to you. Mm -hmm. Here's another question. Are there any aspects or opportunities that could occur with regard to your work that you deem objectionable? And I mean that morally or ethically, logistically, you know, how many, let's say, speaking engagements will you do per year or things like that? Um, maybe you don't want to work with or collaborate with certain authors or post on certain blogs because they've written about things you really don't want to be associated with. Mm -hmm. And a third question is, are there certain jobs or tasks you simply won't or can't perform for whatever reason? Those are three questions I thought of for setting boundaries with yourself as a writer. They seem incredibly healthy 
because it, I, th- I think for so many of us, the impulse is to say yes. Oh, of course I want to do that. Yes, I want to do that. And uh, I need to get my ideas out there. If we're writing, we're motivated by sharing our work and it's hard to say no to something that might be a way to share our work. Yeah. And maybe we could even think of some of these on like the flip side, like, okay, well, here are the blogs that I will never guest post on, even if they ask. Um, but here are blogs I would like to collaborate with. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what what can I do to open my gate to that contributor or that person to strike up a relationship with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in, in all of these areas, it's like, well, but how do I want to talk to myself? How do I want to present myself in the world? What values am I living out in my life through my work? Right. Yeah. And values is a key piece of all of mm-hmm. this because your yeah. your boundaries, I think, are going to be gu- guided in, so- in some way, at least by your values. So another point where I think it's important for writers to think about boundaries are their readers. <laughs> you know, how are you going to relate to your readers? How available are you going to make yourself to your readers? That's complicated. Oh, it really is. It really is. And just like a shout out to you know, early authors or people who haven't published yet, like this, this may not seem like an important thing, or you may be like, oh, I want to talk to all my readers and have, you know, be best friends with them. That kind of mentality, not that I've ever learned this the hard way, can come back to bite you (laughs) in in the backside if you're not careful, just in terms of stewarding your time and energy. So here are some questions to think about. First of all, what in your and I'm speaking specifically like in your writing or in your speaking, what will and won't you disclose about yourself to readers? You know, you may be writing on personal topics or even not, but you you tend to use personal anecdotes or something. Is there anything that you can think of that wouldn't be good to share with audiences? Maybe because they involve other people in your life or whatever. Um that's an important thing to think about. And it might be different. Your answer to that question might be different depending on the medium. Like if what you're saying is for sure going into print, that might be different than what you say to a small, intimate gathering, speaking event that isn't being recorded in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll share one example. I know somebody who is recovering alcoholic and he he has written books about addiction, but he's never disclosed in them that he himself is a recovering alcoholic. But he will disclose that to audiences at speaking engagements that aren't being recorded. Now, interesting. Yeah, I don't know That's why. That's a very interesting boundary to have. Yeah, I don't know why he made that choice, but it was a conscious choice. Yeah. And I'm sure he has his re- reasons. For whatever yeah. reasons, that's his comfort zone. Um, But those are things you want to think about, you know. Another question how available logistically and emotionally will you make yourself to readers? So things like this. Will you accept friend requests from readers on Facebook whom you've never met? Will you follow them back on Twitter? Uh, and what are you going to do about private messages or readers who somehow manage to find your personal email and, and write you stuff? I think it's important to think through some of those things and and maybe tailor some of your websites or the information about yourself you provide online to not open yourself up in ways you don't really want to be opened up to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think like to to reverse that, to bring them back also on, on the yes side, I'm thinking of how I rewrote the bio on my website a few months ago because I realized I was getting really similar questions that I was very comfortable responding to. And I had just written such a minimal biography on my about page. that I was like, oh, well, I can answer these questions pretty succinctly yeah. and in a way that felt very genuine to me. 
and it was more self-disclosing, but it was something that I had thought thought through and presented very carefully and intentionally. Yeah. I wanted to clarify because some of <laughs> I may seem like paranoid. I'm like, you know, will you accept friend requests? This I, I may sound really stingy. Oh no, I get random friend requests all the time, and I'm like, I don't know you, and um, no. <laughs> yeah, and I no. I also I don't respond to all private messages. Like I I often yeah, I, either. I often get private messages from people that are not they're like monologues and they're not asking me a question. They're not really commenting on anything that is relevant to any of my work. They've they've just kind of read or or something listened to something by me and have all these thoughts and then the burden is suddenly on me to turn this into a conversation. Mm-hmm. But it didn't start out as a conversation. Yeah. And so if I've like, they may not even have introduced themselves. I just sort of have no idea what the context is here. And a lot of times I just don't respond because I don't have extra energy to be um, like doing that work that I feel like someone initiating conversation. If you said yes to that, you would also have to be saying no to your actual creation of work that you're sharing with the world. Yeah, yeah. So another question to consider is um, with readers, how will you engage their criticism? So criticism comes in a lot of different places these days. It may come in the form of an Amazon review. It may come from a random post on a social media thread or someone mailing something to your publisher, are you going to respond? Um, Are you going to respond privately or publicly or just let it be? And uh, this is increasingly important to consider because, you know, people, trolls are doing this thing now where they screenshot things you've said or screenshot things you write and then take it out of context and do all these things that are, is really, how is it pronounced? Defamation? Yeah, yeah, well, it's it can be just full out defamation. It's really hard to know what to do in those situations, and not not that I think you can just come up with a perfect answer ahead of time, but can at least think through, you know, how might you respond in those cases? Okay, so the the third area where it's important to set boundaries is boundaries with friends and loved ones. Sarah, we've talked about this before, <laughs> oh, and we love them dearly. We love them all. We do love them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you're if you're gonna be writing. What what does what can and can't you offer in a household setting or in terms of emotional availability during writing time? Yeah. What are your writing times? Do they know? What kinds of boundaries do you need around that to safeguard them? And uh, on the flip side, how can you safeguard your relationships from the encroachment of writing tasks, which is an equal and opposite tendency? I feel like that is the hard one for me. I ha- I'm pretty good at setting boundaries around writing time pretty happy with how I set boundaries around writing time. I think for me, it's so hard when you're really thinking about something and you're thinking about it and thinking about it and trying to figure out this problem. And I just want to worry over the problem indefinitely instead of saying, you know, it's five o'clock, my work day has ended. I'm with my family now. This isn't something I need to keep thinking about. People need dinner. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Laundry hasn't been done. <laughs> yeah. For me, the for me, it's like setting the boundary around my work day. Right. Which includes the writing and just saying, this is, it's done now. Right. Fourth area where you can set some boundaries, boundaries with your work. I've mm-hmm. We've kind right of there. touched on this, but, you know, questions like what place does writing have in the context of your life? How long at any given stretch or in any given sitting will you work on highly creative or generative work at a time? Hint, like too much of that is a bad thing. You can mm-hmm. sort of drive yep. yourself crazy um, you on the high of creativity. Easily. Yeah, you totally can. 
And here's an interesting question. What areas or topics are inside of your parameters or your brand as a writer? What are the things you write about? And then on the flip side, like, what are some of the things you're sort of tempted to write about, but just are kind of outside that central focus that you're that you can give yourself permission to not write about even though it kind Mm -hmm. of tempts Mm -hmm. you sometimes I think that's a helpful question because it often feels like the further I get as a writer the more ideas I get Mm -hmm. and they all seem like equally necessary for me to write about and I just don't have the time or energy to write about all of them so you have to let some of those go and that's okay Mm -hmm. or to let them wait Sometimes yeah. for me, that feels better to be like, well, you know, I might want to write about this eventually. I'm going to, it's not the right time for me right now. That can wait. Yeah, maybe that's one category, but I think there's something to be said for also having a category of like, no, that's outside my wheelhouse. Oh, for sure. Like I yeah. get, I get ideas for things that are just, I have no expertise in, but it would be really interesting to read a book like that. And maybe I should write it. And it's like, <laughs> you know what? Uh, maybe not. Let someone else, let someone else handle it. <laughs> Um, okay, so then a, a fifth area, fifth and final area to set boundaries in as writers. And these are boundaries with other stakeholders in your work. This includes people like editors, agents, publishers, event organizers for speaking engagements or conferences, people like that. And um, this is a really important, there's a lot I could say here just in terms of what's included in contracts, what isn't included, um, what you would like to be in a contract what you would like rights over. But uh, here, I think one of the questions just generally that's important to think about is, are there any terms you won't agree to in contracts? And this might be, like, one thing I'm thinking of is the rights to, like, an audio, doing an audiobook or something. A lot of publishers will put that in contracts. But you may not want that. Mm-hmm. Um, or your publisher may want you to read the book, the audio form of the book, but you may not want your voice out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, just things to think about. And then another thing, another question is like, especially when you're in promotion uh, phase of a book, like you'll find yourself doing a lot of interviews or guest posts. And once you do that, those people have rights to whatever you've just given them. It's like their property now. And something that's happened to me is like they've gone on to use it in other contexts that I'm less I'm less comfortable with. But you didn't have an upfront uh, agreement with them about it. Right. Which there is implied ownership. Even when you haven't signed a contract, they have mm-hmm. implied ownership. Yeah. So yeah. it's worth having a conversation in email because that's in writing mm-hmm. about how they might use it in the future. And if you're uncomfortable, I just say don't do it. Mm-hmm. But if they're amenable to to you saying, well, could you not use it on this your other blog? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. about highly controversial subjects. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they may be amenable to that. They may not. But again, if you're if you're really uncomfortable, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, it's not worth it. And you don't know until you ask. And better to ask than uh. Yeah, and if you don't feel you can ask, if you don't feel that's you a can problem. ask again, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you, if you can't ask about that, that is a major red flag. Yeah. So um, I don't know. These are just some areas where, you know, over the last few months where I've been thinking of. And, and none of this is to say that I have had all of these problems or anything. I've worked with some mm-hmm. really great people. But, uh, you know, I've worked also worked with clients who have had issues. And I've started thinking about these in regards to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing I just want to say is that, you know, 
To set a boundary doesn't mean you have to be mean or stingy about it. You can do it in ways that other people don't even know you're setting a boundary. Mm -hmm. You know, just by saying no in a very polite way or, oh, I'm not, you know, I wonder if we could do this instead, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, you boundaries get... boundaries is not is not about being rude or harsh or caustic. No. And in fact, I think love is love is at the root of a boundary. I do too. And it's also not about being selfish because mm-hmm. you have to put the mask on yourself to be able to put the mask on someone else. So if you're not protecting yourself um and you're the people close to you and all of that, like you're not going to have the resources you need to keep writing and keep helping people through your work. Exactly. So. I'm really interested to see what our listeners think about this and if there's any boundaries that they've had to set in their work as a writer to take care of themselves. Yeah, I would love to love to hear what people think um, and what has worked for them, boundaries that maybe they didn't start out with and have added to their creative lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now we've come to Tips and Tools, a segment about building better writing systems one small step at a time. This week, Sarah, you're talking about Feedly. First of all, what is that? It is an app and a website that is basically an RSS feed. And what that means is that you can subscribe to blogs and find them all in the same spot. So I go to Feedly.com or I pull up my Feedly app on my phone and up comes new blog posts from all the blogs that I've subscribed to. And that is many, 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 many blogs. But I don't have to go to each blog to see like, did they happen to post a new recipe this week it just if they posted something new it shows up in the rss feed so it's like an aggregate yes yes but one that you have created for yourself Mm. um and feedly feedly also has things where like you can search by keywords and stuff i don't use that function of feedly at all i use it exclusively to house my own library of reading for myself and i do this in a very explicit um opposition to algorithmic curation which is like what Facebook or something like that will feed you where like, oh, you Mm -hmm. like this. Well, maybe you like this other stuff. Um, It's not like that. And it's not filtered. I get everything that that blog or website publishes, right? So nobody is saying, well, you know, it was posted at 9 a.m. today and no one was interested. So when I show up at 5, I can't see it, right? It's everything. And I've been doing this for, I've been using Feedly for a long time now, years and years. And it means that like, Maybe a blog only posts a few times a year, but when they post something, I know that it's there. I had um a blogger, oh, just a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that he had posted on his blog in maybe like six years. And then it was like, oh, oh hooray, weird. you're back at it. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it was like one of these like, oh, well, I tried Twitter and Facebook and now I'm back to the blog world. And I'm like, yes, John is back. But I wouldn't have known that unless I had subscribed to his blog on the RSS feed. Yeah, I, I like Feedly as well. Um, I think you got me started with Feedly. And I like that you can separate it into different, I don't know, sections or whatever. Yeah, you can categorize it, yeah. So I have a section uh, of blogs that are just well-written. Like on any topic, they're just well-written. I have a, blo- a section for editing blogs that I follow in my mm-hmm. work as an editor. I have section for cooking blogs. Yep. Yep. So... Yeah, I I love it. And it it um the whole problem of endless endless scrolling that you might have on social media apps isn't there because you've curated it for yourself and it's finite. I mean, maybe if you subscribe to a lot of blogs it wouldn't be finite. Mm-hmm. But the amount that I have subscribed to is very curated to what I enjoy. And I freely unsubscribe from stuff. Sometimes I'll be interested and then I'll be like, "Uh, no, I've tried this for a month, not my thing." And I just unsubscribe. It's really easy and I get mm-hmm. exactly what I want. That's awesome. 
Well, now we have a listener question from Laura. And after listening to an earlier episode, she wrote us, you mentioned beta readers. Could you talk about how to organize and engage with them? So beta readers can have a kind of a technical definition. And I think, Nicole, you neither you nor I have officially worked with beta readers where, you know, we've written a novel and they're going to, it's going to a specific set of people. We might be paying those people to read it. But both of us have used people in unofficial capacities, aka friends, uh, or family members, um, or colleagues, to read our work at various levels. And um, even though you and I haven't had official experience with beta readers specifically, I think that you and I have something to say about getting feedback on your writing that isn't like, you know, we published it and now people are writing an Amazon review kind of thing. And I think for me, who freely solicits feedback on my writing at all sorts of stages, um, I think for me, the most important thing as I'm getting feedback that I think about is what kind of feedback do I want? And um, I have a really good friend who uh, fortunately has enough time to do this, and he reads so much of so much of what I write before it goes out into the world. And just this past week, I got two very different kinds of feedback for him. <laughs> I had I had one um, blog post that I was writing that I was like, man, this sounds like I'm bragging. I'm trying to make a point that isn't about how great I am, but it sure sounds like the point is how great I am. Okay. And I needed, and you know, he knows me well and knows I'm not going to be offended you're by so anything arrogant, that he says. Sarah. I know, right? And he's like, yeah, it does sound like you're bragging here. And we were able to talk through it because we have a long-standing, trusting relationship. He was able to help me figure out the tone and like the the content that I was trying to communicate and figure out how to figure it out in a way that like was doing what I intended it to do. And it was very specific ahead of time. Here's what I'm here's what I'm looking for. Help help me with this, please. Mm. Now, on the other hand, I just recently also sent him <laughs> sent him all the chapter descriptions for my book proposal. And you know what I was looking for? I was looking for affirmation. And I told him that. <laughs> I was like, so I, I'm at this point where I feel like, you know, I'm an imposter and I'm a fraud and it is all terrible. And would you look at this and tell me uh, that yes. I'm not a fraud and terrible? <laughs> And you know what? That's what he did. I know that trench so well. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say though, with these with these two different scenarios, same same good friend of mine who's a very articulate and educated person. Uh, what what I'm saying is like he knows how to. He has a lot of writing craft at his um his disposal. He's really aware of those things. But I was very explicit about the kind of feedback that I wanted, and I think oftentimes the pitfall of especially amateur writers is that you think, oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to just give this thing to my friend, to my colleague, to my family member, and they're going to magically know what I need. And at my experience is that unless you're really explicit, you get either somebody saying, oh, that was great. I loved it. Or you get like line edits, grammar edits. What? Are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not actually. <laughs> I have a problem with giving too much, uh, too much and too harsh of feedback. Yeah, I think that, that that's an important question is stipulating what you want or are looking for in terms of feedback. I think that there's that this reader is also kind of hinting at the need. I mean, beta the the benefit of actual beta readers is unlike your friend whom I also know, beta readers have like no they don't know you and they have no vested interest in mm. your book succeeding. And that can yeah. be really beneficial um in the beta phase of your work, which is when you're still actually working on it and you can still change things. Uh, you can still communicate your message better to your audience. Mm -hmm. Usually beta yeah. readers are from your like specific target audience. Mm -hmm. And a beta reader would, an actual beta reader would be getting 
a book draft at a later date than I currently am. Yeah. Well, and depending on how, you know, you might be doing it chapter by chapter, what have mm-hmm. you. But yeah. So I've actually kind of done a little bit of this, not formal beta readers, but I do send book manuscripts of my own to people who don't really know me, but who are experts in subject matter experts yes that i they may be we may be like one or two friends removed or something so i have some kind of connection where i can write them and they don't always say yes but usually they say yes and then i'll usually give them a free copy of the book after Mm -hmm. it's published this has been really helpful in part because i tend to do writing that's cross-disciplinary as we would say in the academic world. Mm -hmm. You write a lot about a lot of things, not all of which you have a PhD in. Is that what you mean? (laughs) Exactly. And uh, and it's it's given me some really, really valuable feedback. I feel like this kind of reader is so important because if you want to write widely, because you're going to be writing about something and maybe just mess up some stupid word and then look like you're an idiot, but actually you did your best and you just weren't up on biology or what have you, you know, and you just need need people to check things against. Another side benefit is... um, you know, I might be straying outside of my formal expertise and I'll tell the the reader, you know, I'm a little bit, I'd, I'd like to know if this would pass in your field. And am am I doing this work justice? And he or she will say, has said in the past, yes, you're, you're doing fine. You're not uh, crossing any inappropriate lines or anything. And um, that's given me then more confidence when I'm doing things like book talks or mm-hmm. interacting with readers where I... I can stick to my arguments um, or the points that I'm making. I I think that an expert reader in this case can also be really helpful as you uh, navigate your content in a way that as you communicate your content to a lay reader. So you're looking to the expert to say, like, does this read to you, the expert? And does it read to the lay person? Right. Am I crossing that bridge without crossing any lines? I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for academic and nonfiction writers, sort of, Another form of beta reading that happens is with reviews, peer reviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's usually organized by the publisher after you submit your manuscript. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a really valuable process. I wish more publishers did that even outside of the academic world. But uh, soliciting your own subject matter, subject expert readers is kind of a way to get a taste of peer review without the whole... It's not, it's not true peer review, but it gives you a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that this gave you some things to think about and uh, check back in with us. We'd love to hear from you. And now we've come to the update where we each share what we've been up to lately and where we're planning to go in our writing lives. So as we were just talking about with beta readers, sometimes in an academic writing setting, you have... Um, peer review or people who are giving a lot of input at a very early stage of your writing um, and shaping it. And the last couple of weeks, one of the things that I've been working on is an abstract for a book chapter for a book proposal. And um, what that means is like 250 words about here's what I'm going to write about that goes to the editors of the proposed book, which will then eventually go to the publisher. And that's what I had. I had like, you know, here's what I think I'm going to write about. And they said, oh, Sarah, well, we have somebody writing about this and we have somebody writing about that. Can you shape your abstract in XYZ ways and answer this question that we have? And so that's what I did. And I rewrote the thing and then I sent it back to them. So that's one thing that I've been working on. And it's it's really, um, it's not collaborative writing, but it's really a nice... Uh, it's nice to see how like my work interacts with other people who are part of this proposed volume. That's exciting. It is. It's, it's a lot of fun. The other things that I have been 
working on in the last few weeks. I was, um, some listeners may remember I had a lot of travel. And one of the things that I did that wasn't like creative generation, but really important was I've been investigating book publishers. And I write in an industry field where you don't need an agent to publish, but you need to know what publishers work for your what you're writing. And I was able to narrow it down to a nice, nice cool. handful of publishers. And that feels really good to to know where I'm aiming for and to see books that are similar to mine. And I'm also continuing to work on my proposal and shape it for those particular publishers and what they want in a proposal. That's awesome. How about you, Nicole? What have you been up to? Well, also speaking of beta readers, I've been doing some of that. Actually, I had contacted a few people earlier in my writing phase to just give them a heads up about my book and ask if they would be open to reading the manuscript and giving me subject expert feedback. And I had given them, you know, a date that I wanted to submit them something by and it hasn't worked. Like I'm just not as far as I wanted to be. And I was talking to one of them and he was just like, you know, just send me a few chapters that you have. Like you can send these to me in installments. I'll still read them. And that kind of gave me uh, the push that I needed to just start really firming up. I have a lot of chapters that are like very, very far in the process. And they just need to be firmed up a little bit and sent on. So that's really encouraging. I've been able to set aside today some really dedicated time and I hope to send him something either by the end of the day or tomorrow morning. So yeah, that's exciting. Make me feel like I'm a bit further than I was feeling even just yesterday. I think yesterday I was telling, sort of freaking out about where where I was at, which was to say where I'm not at. Um, (laughs) But anyway. Yay, messy middle, right? Here we are. Right in the thick of it. Yep. (laughs) And that's it for this week's installment of Writing on Wednesdays. You can find the show notes at writingonwednesdays.com. Just look for episode nine. Next week, I'll be back with a fresh middle sode, and I'll be talking about the app Headspace and how it helped me start to tame my anxiety as well as improve my writing. If you're enjoying writing on Wednesdays, please share the show with your writer friends and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. And if you'd like to connect with other writers like you, join our Facebook group by searching for Writing on Wednesdays. Until next Wednesday, happy writing. Happy writing. Happy writing.